You're a wizard, Dudley. Uh, must have got the wrong envelope. You're a wizard, Harry. You're listening to the Quilbert Podcast, the Harry Potter book club that tries to get it right the first time. I was asleep, and I heard this ripping noise, and I thought it was in my dream, you know. But then there was this draft. I woke up, and one side of the hangings on my bed had been pulled down. I rolled over, and I saw him standing over me, like a skeleton, with loads of filthy hair, holding this great long knife. Must have been 12 inches. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and then I yelled, and he I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. So Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway totally pulled like an accidental Dumbledore at the Oscars. Yeah, except that they didn't have the whole hall decorated in La La Land's <laughs> and, school and colors. Recent events must be taken into account. <laughs> 200 points to Moonlight. Yeah, Um. but unlike in Hogwarts, Moonlight all the way deserved it and didn't win on a series of bizarre technicalities. Wasn't, Gryffindor totally deserved it. Neville showed that it's hard to stand up to your friends. Well, this is a debate from and for an earlier episode. <laughs> Legitimately, congratulations to Moonlight. That was one of the best movies I've ever seen and I was fucking psyched. So, yes. cool an stuff. Excellent film. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Go do so. Yeah, this is a non-Harry Potter recommendation, but yo, go see Moonlight. Okay, that got off the rails super duper fast. This is not a podcast about Moonlight or about any movies, really. This is a Harry Potter book club. Occasionally about the movies, but you know. Um, This week, we read two chapters from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. The chapters were Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw and Snape's Grudge. The podcast you are about to enjoy will contain spoilers for this and future Harry Potter stories and ample cursing. So get fucking ready. Fuck. <laughs> that might have been gratuitous. <laughs> um, it will also contain some adult themes. This week's adult themes are rent-a-cops, mud wrestling, party schools, pet eulogies, and warrantless searches and seizures. Do you want to tell us what happened this week? (laughs) Yes, I do. In this week's chapters, Ron and Hermione's friendship is pushed to the absolute brink by Crookshank's alleged murder of Scabbers. There's no, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but we just don't know. No body. Uh, Yeah, there's no... No body, no conviction. Habeas rat corpus. Uh, <laughs> yep. Harry puts the firebolt through the paces in their critical match against Ravenclaw. Every Quidditch match is critical, though, because they play like three games a season, apparently. Unless there are games that, unless they play like twice. I don't know. It's like group play round robin tournament. Uh, the actual details are never really revealed. I think they only play, I think each house plays each other house once. There's just not that many games. No, I know. That's not what we're talking about right now. (laughs) But you're right. We, uh, anyway, the Firebolt is essentially unbeatable. So Gryffindor, as it usually does, unless Dementors get involved, 
prevails, uh, despite the fact that Harry is up against Cho Chang, who gives him a lot of tummy feels. Cho Chang is the Ravenclaw seeker who is hot. Draco tries to fuck his shit up. That's true, yes. Um, besides having the hots for Cho, Harry has to contend with several more Dementors on the field. He gets a chance to use the Patronus charm, blast them with uh, a silvery substance ejaculated from his wand, and it turns out it was just Draco and Crab Goyle and Marcus Flynn in Dementor disguises, which apparently were pretty convincing because uh, in the heat of the moment, Harry uh, Patronused them. So Gryffindor prevails. There's a big old party with lots of candy and uh, butterbeers. Everybody's having a super badass time. McGonagall comes in in her tartan dressing gown and is like, I can't do the McGonagall accent. So she just says, go to sleep. Children, I can't, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> um, that night, Ron is awakened by Sirius Black with a knife. There is pandemonium ensues. Everybody's out in the common room. Holy shit, there was a murderer in here. Percy's like, tut tut, you must have been having a bad dream. McGonagall comes back super double fucking pissed because she would told them to shut this party down earlier. Ron says, ask the painting, Sir Gaduggan, if uh, if an accused murderer was indeed let into Gryffindor Tower. And Sir Gaduggan says, hell yeah, he had all the passwords. He had them written down on a piece of paper. Turns out Neville lost all the passwords. And... That is how Sirius Black gained entry into Gryffindor Tower. So, some poor, uh, some poor password protection there. And Neville's like backup answer was probably, "What is your name, Neville?" Or like, "Where did you go to school, Hogwarts?" So, very poor uh, security practices. Yeah, not good two-factor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they should use two-factor owl authentication. Owl so, authentication. Owl authentication. Damn, that's so, bad. That is good. What? Oh wow, we disagree. On the, <laughs> we disagree on the quality of that joke. Uh, despite the fact that there was an attempted murder on Ron by number one wanted criminal Sirius Black, there's another Hogsmeade weekend. Ron convinces Harry to. Once again, sneak into Hogsmeade over Hermione's objections. Hagrid summons Harry and Ron for some tea and rakes them over the coals for being bitches to Hermione about first the firebolt and then scabbers. Harry sneaks into Hogsmeade and gets a tour under cover of Invisibility Cloak by uh, led by Ron. They run into Draco and Crab and Goyle, who... I don't know, we're just sitting around outside this shrieking shack, uh, chewing the fat. Crab and Goyle are probably literally chewing fat. Uh, <laughs> Harry uses this opportunity to throw literal mud at uh, the Slytherins, I guess, because that'd be ballsy. But in the ensuing scuffle, his cloak comes off, revealing his head. Luckily, Harry keeps his head and is able to run back through the underground tunnels to Hogwarts. 
hopefully before Draco can tell any teachers that he was in Hogsmeade, which he, quick reminder, is not allowed to, because he doesn't have his permission slip signed. Um, but Murder Ball's fine. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but, but that's cool. Snape catches Harry as he emerges from the One-Eyed Witch and interrogates him. In this discussion, Snape tells Harry that his father was a douchebag who was always strutting around. Harry says, uh, my dad didn't strut. Uh, uh, strutting is apparently a horrible, uh, insult. But, uh, Harry gets real pissed. Snape says, turn out your pockets. He's got all these jokes and the Marauder's Map. Snape investigates the Marauder's Map, says, reveal your secrets. The Marauder's Map just sasses him instead of, uh, Showing the map, Moody, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs are writing insults on the map, which infuriates Snape, who summons Remus Lupin, who says, This is just a parchment that's been designed to uh, insult whoever reads it. Nothing to see here. Lupin drops some knowledge on Harry and says, I gotta confiscate this from you. These dudes, Moody etc. would want nothing more than to lure you out of the school. Also, why are you leaving the school? There's a murder uh, out to get you. Don't do that. Harry, thoroughly shamed, heads back to the dormitories with Ron, and they run into ba-ba-ba motherfucking Hermione, who says Hagrid's lost his case. Buckbeak is going to be executed by the committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures which doesn't seem like that case was uh, gonna go that well with a name like that. That'd be like taking your traffic ticket to the committee for giving you traffic tickets, no matter what. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> sure hope I win my appeal before the board of we never let you win appeals. Um, <laughs> and that's where we are <laughs> this week. That's right where we're at. So, um, we had some observations, just kind of random observations that don't really fit cleanly into a segment, so we're going to bring back the Quibbler Pensieve and just pull out some silvery wisps of thought uh, to consider briefly. Yep. So, first of all, um, here's just a little... A little bit of a quibble during the Quidditch match. Marcus Flint is one of the people that dresses up as a Dementor to disrupt the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Marcus Flint is the captain of the Slytherin Quidditch team. And somehow fucking Slytherin isn't disqualified from the Quidditch Cup. Yeah, man. This is like some Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan like bullshit. Yeah, straight up crazy amount of cheating. And they <laughs> all they get is detention. They, try, they, like, try to get him to fall off his broom. I mean, it's, like, okay, Quidditch cheating aside, it's also, yes, Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan style, also fucking attempted murder. Yeah. I mean, they, right? They, like, want him to fall out of the air, like, onto the ground. Mm-hmm. So, presumably, that would kill him. Yes. Um, uh, at very least, like, those dudes should not be in the running for the Quidditch Cup anymore. That's uh, bullshit. Yeah, I, I, was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. There's no, like, committee that... Uh, Buckbeak is gonna get his fucking head cut off for like scratching somebody. And, yeah, there's uh, no committee for the disposal of bullshit Slytherins. Yeah, which is the committee <laughs> that I would vote for in all of these books. Um, so yeah, that's fucking dumb. Uh, also, in these chapters, we get another glimpse into how fucking terrible the Weasleys are with money because Percy has made a bet with his girlfriend on 
the outcome of the Ravenclaw-Gryffindor match. Penelope Clearwater is a Ravenclaw, and they've bet 10 galleons on this match, which, according to our wizarding exchange rate, is... It's a little more than $1,200. Yeah, which, that's too much for, which, like, fifth graders. Yeah, don't... Uh, I, I think they're... Like, 10th graders, fine. But. They're seniors at this point. Okay. But either way, like, you're going to be betting 1200 bucks on, like, a school like a school football game yeah that's I, I, some gossip girl shit yeah well what the hell uh also percy pulls harry aside and says hey yo you gotta win this game because i do not have 10 galleons <laughs> <laughs> which is like rule number one of gambling like do not gamble money you do not have which this is uh, yeah don't do that uh unless 10 galleons is a euphemism for boning something sexy yeah in which case Percy wins either way, unless it's real weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Penelope has like something, some super kind of kinky in super mind. Super kink, yeah. Uh, uh, and we've involves... constructed an incredibly bizarre sex life for the most square character in these books. Yeah, which is why you know he has the craziest sex life. Yeah, he's a freak. Okay, uh, it involves bludgers. I think is Oof, uh, <laughs> Fifty Shades of Clear Water. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. Clearly, I just should have been a Harry Potter slash fic author. I mean, like, you know, it's never too late. Yeah, there's still time. <laughs> Next topic. Luckily for Percy, Harry wins the game. So Percy collects 10 galleons or whatever sexual favor was promised to him. And there is an all-night raucous party in Gryffindor Tower, which this party is so pure. They just... They just pounding like butterbeer all night. I, it just brings me back to times when, you know, you'd stay up till 4 a.m. or whatever. Just, just like, like eating pizza. Eating pizza, and like, like drinking like Dr. Pepper or whatever. Yeah, like, it's Man. like cast parties. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. It's like <laughs> there's something so charged about parties at that age where like you're not drinking or it's not like drug or booze fueled. Unless, I mean, I guess people we're showing who were, how, yeah, we're people showing who were cooler than us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drank at stuff like this. And, you know, toward the end of high school, like, yeah, there was booze and stuff at parties like a, that. I have a confession. What? One, the only cast party I didn't go to in high school, I didn't go because I heard there would be booze there. And oh, I didn't, you're so nice. I didn't want to be naughty. That's so fucking lame, but it's that's also lamest. cute. It's the lamest. I, uh... I regret that decision now, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't have to drink it. Man, what a little bitch I was. A little. You were kind of a I weird can't little people, fascist. I can't believe people still liked me after that. Maybe they didn't. They were like, man, Deberg is a buzzkill. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, nobody gets wasted at uh, this Gryffindor party unless Fred and George are spiking it with they're probably uh, taking nips of some kind of fire whiskey some, something, and a from flask. Ha- something from hagrid's but uh yeah. hogsmeade has a liquor store presumably but uh and fred and george are clearly able to make a fake id or whatever the yeah. wizarding equivalent is but there's anyway there's no way they have ids <laughs> they don't have fucking lights they're so bureaucratic though i know it's true it's like a very like show me your papers culture. They have You're committees right. on everything. You're very right. Uh, but it is a sweet party and it just yeah, it's it's an adorable little scene and they're so excited. And everybody's so impressed because Fred and George just like keep mysteriously coming back with the, these crazy treats. 
Just how guys much, rule. How much candy could you consume at a party, though? I'm just like, they need some more savory things. Like, who's doing, like, the guac? Somebody needs to bring crisps. Yeah. It's true. They seem to have way more sweets than... Anyway, well, it's a sweet <laughs> party, though. Uh, We get another look into Hogsmeade. First off, Zonko's. Wizards are obsessed with pranks. Yes. In a way... I don't know, maybe that's just not something I was ever super into, but like, are prank items that big a deal among like muggle kids? It just seems like it's kind of along the same lines as the candy that we talked about a couple episodes ago where their their like prank culture is so highly developed because like nothing's really that dangerous for wizards because they can set off like bombs essentially and like it's fine because they have (laughs) like they have magic to like undo all these like crazy fucking pranks so this idea of like the joke shop seems to be kind of like very wizarding world specific they're just i I think they just have this highly developed sense of like whimsy and ridiculousness which uh is one reason Quidditch kind of works beyond the epic man baiting troll we discussed last uh yeah. last episode. Yeah, they do. And they do enjoy um like kind of a gotcha like I don't know. Never mind. Even Dumbledore is into like, Yeah, Dumbledore like all of them jokes. just like like practical jokes a lot, which I think <laughs> says a lot about like overall wizard culture. It's, it's just, a nice thing about It uh, is. It seems to but it fits in really well with the rest of their worldview. It's like kind of a harsher culture. Like it's a lot more of like you learn by like kind of getting egg on your face. Kids get like knocked around a lot more in wizarding culture than in muggle culture. And it's a lot less safe in a lot of different ways. We talked about that with Quidditch, but I also feel like no, the prank... No trophies for Quidditch participation. Oh, you barely get trophies for Quidditch winning. Yeah, if you survive. <laughs> if you live through uh. it. <laughs> and you get no credit for not dying. So, I don't know. It just is like this very... Like, it fits in with the other things that we've sort of, like, learned or divined about wizard culture i am surprised that people still like fred and george as much as they do when they are constantly setting off stink bombs in various corridors like at some point you'd be like man fuck those guys i want to walk the class without like retching i mean it's the same thing with candy where they like extreme physical and like sensational experiences you know it's the same i think it's of a piece with like acid pops like it's just a (laughs) culture that's into kind of like extremity and chaos and chaos yeah Yeah. no it's a very chaotic pop culture scene so kind of makes sense to me and the fact that fred and george are like the most popular kids in school i think says a lot about what wizards value all of hogwarts is just a japanese game show (laughs) that's so true basically oh my god (laughs) yeah um okay speaking of hogsmeade one of the like few notes that I captured in these chapters is I just wrote down if I went to Hogsmeade I would literally never leave the post office because it's just like fucking owls wall to wall and there's little teeny ones that you can hold in your hand for local deliveries oh and I would just pet their little heads so would I they're so nice uh, also I was thinking we kind of rag on wizarding technology and they use birds to send each other messages when the internet is being invented meanwhile but one area wizards do have an advantage is parcel delivery 
I mean, Amazon is working night and day to make drone delivery a thing and the ability to send someone small packages to wherever they are is like the holy grail of retail right now. And the wizards have this worked out in the 90s and even before. The wizards have it worked out like since like the Middle Ages. Like it seems like owls are an ancient... So whoever Wizard figured technology. out, yeah, whoever figured out how to talk to owls, I mean, they beat Amazon by like centuries. So Jeff Bezos is reading these books and thinking, damn, god damn it, Hedwig, a whole Amazon it owl. It would actually be cool if they named it like Amazon Hedwig. Uh, wow, that would be great, Jeff. If you're listening, that idea will cost you one billion dollars. Yeah, one billion dollars. You may pay us. Yeah, wait, we you didn't have, even make yeah. up Hedwig. You, you may not, pay yeah. J.K. that too. That's true, but uh, we'll take a finder's fee. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amazon headway. That seems like something, I, all these tech companies have like kind of like Tolkien slash Harry Potter rolling kind of like cultural obsession. Yeah, or just call it Owlpost. Yeah, Owlpost is, I think Hedwig is fun, is like nicer yeah, true. though. That I don't that know. That sounds more like. Uh, that sounds more Amazon-y to me. Anyway, uh, it's a good idea. I'm glad we came up with it. So <laughs> last item in the pensive is just um, Circa Duggan's abject failure as a security painting. Yeah, I talked about that a little in the recap, but he just, uh, don't make your passwords so hard and change so frequently that someone is tempted to uh, write them all down. I put this on Circa Duggan, not Neville, although Neville practiced uh, poor security as well by yeah uh, pretty poor know, judgment mm-hmm, not keep you, you don't like write down your passwords and keep them with you that's a but at the same time like neville knew that he would never be able to keep up with circuit duggan's um like constant password changing and this to me is more a matter of like oversight like why don't the teachers have any say in what the literal fucking living ai art <laughs> does to torment students like there should be some sort of like I don't know, manual reset or like oversight that Professor McGonagall has so that Circuit Duggan can't just torment Neville. That's a really bad thing for your like password authentication service to do. Yeah, I just, the, the password system doesn't. It breaks seem, down a lot. Yeah, it doesn't seem that effective. Uh, another thought does it seem like they're taking Sirius Black actually assaulting Ron way less seriously than him just slashing up the fat lady's painting? Yeah. Like, in the earlier, they have them all, like, sleep in uh, the Great Hall in squashy purple sleeping bags. And this one, they're like, oh, well, uh, I guess we'll go look for him and hopefully he doesn't come back. I guess you're used to it at this point, kids. So if you see Sirius Black... um, I don't know, run away. Well, another thing about that is like, how fucking stupid is Sirius Black? Like, it's funny because you kind of see it dawning on Harry and Ron a little bit. Like, why did he run away? So you can kind of like, I never saw this, obviously, the first time I read this. But like, in hindsight, there's a lot of foreshadowing for the fact that Sirius is not actually trying to kill Harry because he gets ample opportunities to kill Harry like he go the first time he goes in the common room it's when he's fairly certain that all the kids will be out of the common room like he could have checked that pretty easily if he wanted to actually find a child and the second time he like picks the wrong bed which again seems like pretty basic reconnaissance would allow him to pick the right bed so it's just like you can kind of tell that he's not actually after Harry yeah which I noticed that in this chapter like for the first time I was like oh like 
either Sirius is an idiot or they are incorrect about his motivations. Um, why does he have a knife? You have a wand, bro. Does he have a wand? His wand was presumably confiscated. Doesn't he have a wand in the last scene? No, oh, he, has he to steal it. Takes oh, he doesn't have a wand. Damn, analog murder, yo. Mm-hmm. He's just gonna fucking slice that rat up. That's awesome. That's fucking awesome, man. Like he's kind of overcompensating. Actually, all he has to do is like just grab squish the rat, a rat. And, like yeah, squeeze it to death. Make like our old roommate Jeff and just throw it off the balcony. <laughs> yeah, you know that happened. What up, Jeff? That uh, was awesome. If you're listening, I don't think Jeff listens to this. It's possible. That's a <laughs> challenge to you, Jeff. Um. Anyway, so that's, I think that's the pensive, right? Yeah. So it's full up with thoughts, and uh, now they're there. Yeah, I- <laughs> just looping around. So one of the saddest things in these two chapters, and kind of one of the most poignant plot points in this book, is this really big conflict between Ron and Hermione. And... It's one of my favorite of these sort of friend conflicts in the books. Although she does this pretty well in later books as well. I like that they're both right. Mm-hmm. Like they're having a really interesting conflict where it's a matter of like priorities. The question of which one of them kind of is correct. Because Ron's being a dick to Hermione. Like Ron's being really, really, really unfair and extremely cruel to Hermione. But also Hermione has refused to apologize for like a big faux pas. Like don't fucking kill people's pets or let your pet kill people's pets. That's a lawsuit in the US, bottom line. Yeah, well, nothing is a lawsuit in the wizarding world except being scratched by a monster that you um, asked to scratch you. (laughs) So, okay. Anyway... Um, that is a nice tension uh, between the two. And, you know, it's how so many of the most intense kind of friend bites work. Yeah. The other thing that I love about this is I just remember there is this time in, like, early adolescence where, like, fights with friends are, like, epic. Like, the most, like, singular conflict and the most upsetting and, like, kind of world-shattering conflicts you have at this age are these big, big, big fights with your friends. One time my roommate Otto and I um, got into a horrible fight about a bottle of taco sauce. Yeah, but you guys were like 30. Oh. never. <laughs> in early adolescence, we had a fight about taco right? sauce. Right, weren't you at least in your 20s when yeah, I guess when we were in college. Uh, the maddest I ever saw you got get was insisting that the moon landing was real, which I was really proud of you for. That's a decent thing to get <laughs> furious about, but... All right, I guess I should have brought up a, a reference to uh, my actual childhood. Um, no, I mean, I do remember, like, mm-hmm. fights um, in childhood that felt like the most important interpersonal relationship I'd ever had, because this is when you're learning to fight with people you love, like a really important skill... Right is like learning to navigate like incredibly challenging conflicts with people that you care about and you want to come out the other side like still friends. So it's a really formative experience to have these fights. Um, And fights between the friends play a really pivotal role like in all of these books. This conflict between Ron and Hermione and by extension Harry's kind of a like... He's on Ron's side. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an accessory to all this. Anyway, this is... 
maybe Hagrid's finest moment or one of his finest moments. In, so far, uh, yeah. In in the series, because he is uh, he's tough on Ron and Harry. I got something to discuss with you two, said Hagrid, sitting himself between them and looking uncharacteristically serious. What? said Harry. Hermione, said Hagrid. What about her? said Ron. She's in a right state, that's what. She's been coming down to visit me a lot since Christmas, been feeling lonely. First you weren't talking to her because of the firebolt, now you're not talking to her because her cat. Eight scabbers, Ron interjected angrily. Because her cat acted like all cats do, Hagrid continued doggedly. She's cried a fair few times, you know, going through a rough time at the moment, bitten off more than cheat and chew, if you ask me. All the work she's trying to do. Still found time to help me with Buckbeak's case, mind. She's found some really good stuff for me. Reckon he'll stand a good chance now. He shows some admirable self-awareness by saying, hey, people can be crazy about their pets, but you gotta value your friendships more than brooms or rats. It's really wise advice. He also reminds them that Hermione is, despite a lot of flaws this year, an extraordinary friend. Hermione is the only one among them who's been, like, trying to help Hagrid win his case. To be fair... I don't think that's really these children's responsibility. Like I know he's got them all law clerking. He does. But, he does. Uh, that's a. That's a. We're gonna get. We're gonna, into, get, we're gonna get into this next episode. Yeah, we'll um, talk. We'll talk more about the law and order situation um, next time. Hagrid really lays down the law, and you know, Hagrid really is someone who has his priorities in order. Like he's a lunatic a lot of the time, but. He values love and loyalty and goodness in himself and others an appropriate amount. I was embarrassed for Harry and Ron in this part. I was like, man. Yeah, their behavior is embarrassing. But so is Hermione's. She's being really, really priggish and unfair. Right. Well, yeah, they're both right. But they're all kids. I know. It's so true. It's all, they're, they're, all of their actions are so relatable and just so, they're all Born out of, like, really positive character traits that just are clashing, which is nice. And Hermione's been having a tough year. Yeah, so that's going to transition into my big quibble in these chapters, which is just, like, I can't fucking believe that the teachers let Hermione do this. Like, totally putting aside the time-turner stuff and, like, the illegal way in which Hermione is, in fact, getting to her classes. Is it illegal? Well, okay, uh, this unethical and suspect way, I would say. Maybe it's not technically illegal. It's not a great idea. (laughs) But, okay, putting that aside, just like when Hermione went to Professor McGonagall and it was like, I would like to take four classes at once uh, every day of the week, McGonagall should have just been like, no, that's a bad plan. I think there's something going on with McGonagall here in that I think she sees herself in Hermione. She sees a young Minerva McGonagall thirsting to prove herself the wizarding world is probably just waking up to gender equality. Oh, certainly it has not. I mean, no, there's lots of gender shit in these books. We well, don't you even know, have to get but it. I mean, yeah, no, I hear McGon- you. McGonagall is like... She's like just, first wave feminism. Yeah, she's like first wave feminism. Like McGonagall's a, go, a go-getter and uh, I think she respects, right. she respects that in Hermione, but it's... Uh, 
I think that she is trying to give Hermione an opportunity to really excel. But I think it's misguided. And I think the other thing is like, who, why aren't people paying attention to how incredibly like nearly psychotic Hermione has gotten by this point? Like Hermione is totally out of control. She's super duper sleep deprived. And I just feel like McGonagall should be like, okay, like we tried this. But, like, you have to cut back. Like, you are no longer enrolled in half of these classes. Uh, this is also just a bad use of time travel. Go back eight hours, find some place to sleep. Yeah, if you can already go back in time to go to multiple classes, like, sleep twice a night. She should watch Back to the Future. Marty McFly's like, well, I got all the time in the world. I got a time machine. And then he only gives himself like an extra half hour to stop Doc Brown being shot by Libyans. So he makes that mistake too. So never mind. She shouldn't watch that movie because Marty McFly also fucks up. If you have a time machine, use it. Use it. Uh, give yourself enough time. Give yourself enough time to do things. This is uh, this is basic time travel <laughs> advice. I, I don't know. I think McGonagall is actually really unfair to Hermione in allowing her to do this clearly insane thing (laughs) like just i don't know offer summer school or like give hermione a way other than killing herself of exhaustion to like take as many classes as she wants to do a fucking correspondence course just like this is a bad plan and hermione is totally losing it and that's one thing that like harry and ron really aren't being at all sympathetic to is they're not giving hermione her due for most of her behavior is born out of just, like, sheer exhaustion. They start to pick up on this in the next couple chapters. They do. You know, they they're, do. they're gaining some, right. some awareness. One little last thing about Ron. It's fun to have Ron be famous in this chapter. Like, that's such a desperate desire for oh, Ron. He's so pumped. He loves retelling this story. And he really, like, to his credit, it seems like he's taking full advantage of it and is an excellent storyteller (laughs) it seems like ron is like yeah this is gonna be good and it's gonna like he knows it's not gonna last long but man is he gonna take advantage of people wanting to hear about his like brush with death it's so cold when hagrid shuts him down he's like i already heard (laughs) but good for hagrid because he's like bro like you're not being you're not being good news right now uh speaking of harry and ron they well, they go to Hogsmeade, and uh, anyway, against everybody's advice. Yeah, very I, I, stupidly. They're very boys being boys. Yeah, uh, it's true. No, it's a bad plan, and it is proven to be a bad plan when they, in addition to going, like, engage in this very stupid prank that's, like, really likely to give them away. But here's just a little side note in that scene. So... Harry and Ron are standing in front of this shrieking shack. Harry, of course, is under the invisibility cloak. And so they hear Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle approaching. And Malfoy is, like, talking about how his father is going to get Buckbeak killed. Moments later, Malfoy had appeared, followed closely by Crabbe and Goyle. Malfoy was speaking. Should have an owl from father any time now. He had to go to the hearing to tell them about my arm, about how I couldn't use it for three months. Crab and Goyle sniggered. I really wish I could hear that great hairy moron trying to defend himself. There's no arm in him, honest. 
that hippogriff's as good as dead. Malfoy suddenly caught sight of Ron, his pale face split in a malevolent grin. What are you doing, Weasley? And I was just thinking, Malfoy is so fucking boring. Like, how shitty would it be to be Malfoy's friend? Every glimpse we get of Malfoy, even sort of in his natural habitat, like, with his friends and family, like, in book two, when we see him with his dad, he's just, like, bitching about Harry and Hermione. Later on, when they do the Polyjuice Potion, um, he's just, like, showing them like a funny joke about how poor Arthur Weasley is. And then right here, he's just like bragging about his weird hippogriff murder scheme. He's just like only ever talking about like all his like funny bullying. Uh, you know, they say great minds discuss ideas, average minds events, and uh, small minds hippogriff murder plots. Yeah. Basically. Well, first of all, you know how I feel about that expression. You don't like it. I think it's really sexist, but that's not what we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> um, no, I just think that, like, Malfoy doesn't seem to have any interests. No. Like, he seems really boring. All he cares about, like, he's just one of these people. I mean, he's kind of a familiar type. Like, he's so obsessed with, like, small slights and, like, all of the ways that he can, like, pay people back for, like, being rude to him. Yeah. That he doesn't little, have any hobbies or interests or, like... Little ways he can assert his dominance over somebody even quidditch he doesn't seem to get much enjoyment out of because it's mostly this vessel to prove how awesome he is or prove how shitty somebody else is right and like his favorite subject is potions but only because he gets to watch snape bully people like he doesn't like anything except like being a dick which seems really boring and sad like i don't i bet he's not a very happy person it's a small life yeah, it is. It's a really it's a really mean existence. So, but poor Crab and Goyle, like maybe the reason they're such dunderheads is because this is all they listen to all day. It's like <laughs> maybe you guys should hang out with like Pansy Parkinson who at least seems to be into cats. Yeah. Like just have a conversation with somebody other than this fool. So, poor uh it's either Crab or Goyle. JK Rowling describes his like dull dead eyes. Yeah, he's rubbing <laughs> He's rubbing mud. I think she just says dull. I don't think she says dead no, eyes. Dull eyes. His dull little eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this. Uh, but I mean, just like Malfoy, so, like he's so boring. His like inner light is uh, just. I think that's stifled. Malfoy's fault. Like, dude, find something else to talk about. You're like fucking wearing people out. <laughs> so we'll talk now about kind of the crux to me of these two chapters the most important thing that happens the most important set of things we learn and kind of this like central moral quandary that comes up Snape catches Harry essentially Harry fucking worms his way out of it which is unfair first of all Snape says a hilarious thing um this earlier on but I loved this line Snape goes you have a habit of turning up in unexpected places Potter and you are very rarely there for no reason. Snape fucking reads Harry. Yeah. That is the most accurate description of Harry's, like, shenanigans in these books. Harry didn't say anything. Snape's thin mouth curled into a horrible smile. So, 
he said, straightening up again. Everyone from the Minister of Magic downward has been trying to keep famous Harry Potter safe from Sirius Black. But famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. Let the ordinary people worry about his safety. Famous Harry Potter goes where he wants to, with no thought for the consequences. Harry stayed silent. Snape was trying to provoke him into telling the truth. He wasn't going to do it. Snape had no proof. Yet. How extraordinarily like your father you are, Potter, Snape said suddenly, his eyes glinting. He too was exceedingly arrogant. A small amount of talent on the Quidditch field made him think. He was a cut above the rest of us, too, strutting around the place with his friends and admirers. The resemblance between you is uncanny. So, like, you know, first of all, like, Snape is right. Harry has been breaking the rules, flouting the rules, in fact, and um, wholly deserves to be caught, and it's not fair that he gets out of this. And Snape takes this opportunity to, I think, pettily and cruelly and unadultly to compare Harry to his father James who he says was similarly arrogant and didn't think other people were important I don't know what do you think about this revelation about Snape's relationship with James well Snape makes some fair points here I think he says oh Harry Potter famous Harry Potter thinks he's a law unto himself where the entire magical government is trying to make sure he's safe and he's sneaking off to Hogsmeade. I mean, that argue that that is wrong. Yeah, he shows really poor judgment. And Hermione Hermione says such and then Lupin reinforces it when they're uh, alone together later in in the chapter and um so we get this revelation that James Yes, he did save Snape's life, but only after playing a trick on him where Snape would have been killed if James didn't get cold feet and go back on it, which we learn more about later. But basically, they set him up to uh, go find Werewolf Lupin, who could have, like, ripped his throat out. So, yeah. um, you know, and, like, Harry has a propensity to have to, like, cover his ass, too, in the same the same way. Harry's childhood is not as carefree and privileged as his father's was. Harry's probably a better person than his dad. Harry doesn't know that yet. I mean, we learn later that, yeah, his dad was kind of a D-bag. I think Harry's a significantly better person. And I also think, I think these events are actually vastly different in their qualities. James was entitled and the more we learn about James, the more we learn that he was a complicated character who I think tipped farther into the douchebag realm than not. <laughs> Harry is different because Harry is basically just after a little bit of freedom and like a little bit of space and a little bit of choice. Okay. I think it's really, really, really unfair of all these adults to expect Harry to take all this shit into account when Harry has had nothing his whole life. And I don't think Harry is making the right choice here, but I also don't think it's surprising that Harry will do almost anything for a little bit of freedom and a little bit of enjoyment. Because that has been 
distinctly and tragically lacking in his life. It might make sense, but I guess the question is, is Harry's spiritual wellness worth the safety of other people? Right, and I don't think it is, but I also don't think it's fair to put that on this 13-year-old, like, trauma victim. Yeah. I guess that's the difference. It's like, so you compared it to Saving Private Ryan. A little bit. I mean, it's not, it's a, it gets more like that later in the series when people are actually dropping dead, but... People you know, could die. Yeah, the question in that movie is, uh, is this one guy worth all the sacrifices to, uh, to, to bring him home? Arguably, Harry is, I don't know, if we're, like, comparing... The worth of lives. If we're, if we're comparing, like, Saving Private Ryan to Harry Potter, Harry Potter is the only person who can defeat Hitler, essentially. But, uh, so you, like, know, the, you know, the question remains. The question, is, I mean, the, the, the weird thing is, the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, straight up, like, Harry's well-being is worth basically everyone else in the Wizarding World's well-being. Well, which, Harry is gambling that. But as... Harry doesn't know that, and that is un. Fair, because this whole time Harry is like ah uh, Harry does know this. Oh, no, I don't think so. Yes, he has a he knows how important he is. He burned off Quirrell's face with his magic glove hands. But I think that he thinks that it's mostly like a face saving thing for the Ministry of Magic. I don't think he knows that he is important to like the survival right, yeah. of he, the Wizarding. He world. doesn't know what level yet, but you no. know he he know. He knows that it's, like, bad form to... Well, here's the other thing. Okay, this is the other credit I'm going to give Harry. Look, and I agree with you. I think Harry is making an un- an unethical set of choices here. I'm just trying to paint, like, give him a little bit of, like, space. Because the other thing is, like, people have been promising to protect him at Hogwarts the whole time, and it has never worked. So I just don't think Harry has a lot of reasons to trust the security apparatus at Hogwarts. Yeah. I mean, so he's kind of like, it doesn't really matter what I do. Like, shit's gonna go down. Like, and he seems throughout this book, like, Harry knows that he is going to encounter Sirius. He's been seeing the Grimm. Like, he has this whole experience with the Dementors. Harry doesn't seem to have any illusions about whether there's gonna be a showdown with Sirius Black. So he's kind of like, I think I'm. I think this is gonna happen either way. Like I don't think he thinks that. I think he does. Harry thinks she's like Harry keeps seeing the fucking Grim. Harry is getting acquainted with the possibility of his death. That's what the last two I books have been about. I think he's far too. more worried about the Dementors. There's never a moment where he's like, I. Well, I think I might run into Sirius Black. Okay. He but, considers going after Black, but I. I don't know. Well. Well, that's know. the other thing is I don't think Harry. I mean. The other thing that Harry is is pretty ambivalent about whether it would be a bad thing to confront Black. Right. Okay. That makes yeah. That makes sense. So never mind. I take it back. I think Harry is. Um. I think Harry is making really, really reckless and really unfair choices. But I don't think he's doing it because I don't think he's wholly doing it just because he's entitled and a dick. Like I think Harry has really complicated relationships with his own safety. He has really complicated relationships with trusting adults to keep him safe. They never have. So I don't blame him for not thinking that this whole fucking hullabaloo about Sirius Black is that important. I mean, I don't blame him either. And I think Snape should show a little more empathy. But Snape is making a fair point, which oh, yeah. is underlined by the fact that Lupin says it in a says essentially the same thing, but in a much more you know, humane and understandable way. Says this is your parents' sacrifice. You can't gamble that for fucking hugely hypocritical of Lupin, because Lupin is pretty sure he knows how Sirius is getting into the castle, as we find out. Lupin doesn't say what he knows. Lupin has vital intelligence. Lupin doesn't turn over the fucking Marauders map either. Like 
Lupin doesn't do the right thing either. Oh, that is interesting. So, like, who the fuck is Lupin to tell Harry that Harry is acting unethically when Lupin has a lot more information to be working with and also makes, in the context of Sirius being bad, Lupin makes substantially more unethical decisions. So, and I love, you know so, I love Lupin. So do I. So Snape's kind of right again. You know, Snape's right about these fuckers. He's, he's often right, but, but like with needs- the wrong... It's like uh, the big. It's like you're. It's like the Big Lebowski. It's like you're not wrong, Snape. You're, you're just, just an, an asshole. asshole. Yeah. No. I, I. I. don't think Snape is wrong about any of these characters. Snape is. I mean. No, he is. He's. He's right about what they're doing a lot of the times, but he's wrong about like the intent. Well, and he's wrong about the necessity of holding them to constant account for like being human. Right. He's hypocritical because he is not. Um, blameless either and he's just he's obsessed with a certain kind of like bully vindication that's like really unattractive but i mean later on like snape is really really right about Sirius too they're all all three of them are pretty arrogant and pretty dismissive of people who they don't think are like cool so uh like mooney wormtail or mooney padfoot prongs are dicks they are Really vicious to grown-up Snape in their uh, kind of Marauders Map chatbot incarnation. Yeah, they call him. Uh, what do they call him? Like they call him a git. I and, forget what the rest of it and is. Dis- like disgusting. Yeah, they say like you are like vile. I mean, it is. It's pretty rough. mean, but I mean, in a very like joke shop way. I don't know. It's uh, the time right. to wash his hair. Yeah, it is pretty cruel. It is, you can see in that you, moment, you're like, okay, I get why Snape hates these guys. Yeah, and <laughs> you you do get a glimpse of how badly bullied Snape was. Yeah. So you know what? Everything in the wizarding world comes back to like, you guys need therapists. Yeah. All of this shit is like, just like if people could get over their like childhood bullying, like maybe there would be way less evil. But is- that's actually pretty true of the world it is cool i do the map is cool in that moment where uh it switches into chatbot mode oh the magic of it is hyper intelligent right like the fact that it knows its enemies basically and how to talk like mooney and padfoot and the gang yeah it's weird because their words are from a certain point in time kind of similar to the riddle diary but yeah like different too because it doesn't have like their soul or whatever inside it yeah it's not like a horcrux uh, yeah it's more just like yeah it's, it's more, more like, like an actual chatbot it's like a chatbot but it's interesting because you've got peter pettigrew as wormtail like writing on this map that is weird it's like past peter it's when like good current peter, peter is mm-hmm. yeah like this, I, I, it's kind of it's kind of creepy just knowing what's going to happen to Well, I think the sort of the characters. The getting to know the wormtail of the past makes the revelation about modern Peter Pettigrew like obviously really upsetting. Right. Because the other thing is like he's very Neville like. Yeah. You get this sense that and then I mean that's how you kind of can see well, it's kind of a similar story to Snape. Like, it's pretty easy to see how people who get picked on a little too much 
um, can turn really bad. Well, that connection is drawn explicitly because when Harry is imagining Sirius Black's crime, he pictures Peter Pettigrew as Neville on right, bottom. Right, he does. Yeah. He does. Um, wait, which I think gives us a little bit of insight into the fact that, you know, if you mistreat someone like Neville enough, you uh, you can turn them really bad. So, you know, don't don't do that. I don't, it's like that's like kind of a lame like lesson to take away. But being mean to people has consequences, and that's one of the important things that Harry learns in this book is like being a dick has consequences. I think it also show. I mean, this is like a macro point that we're gonna revisit multiple times in the future but it shows also neville's character uh yeah i know we're just this is just like via parallel but yeah neville's a neville's a really remarkable person neville has dealt peter's hand and makes the exact opposite decision neville just like he doesn't let shit get him down no even like mcgonagall's punishment for him is insane she basically evicts him from his home he's like wait around the the door security trolls just like leering at him while somebody (laughs) else comes to give him the password it's really really unfair and he's just like uh you know it's my lot now He's a sweet man. I know. Neville, yeah, Neville is a, Neville's character arc is one of the more interesting ones in the series, so. It's, it's weird that there's, like, troll security contractors. I know. I thought. Well, I mean, there's fucking demon security contractors, <laughs> so trolls are the least of our Just worries. like, uh, yeah, Dumbledore's chill with, like, trolls uh, Well, the trolls castle? aren't, like, evil. They're just sort of, like unpleasant. I just like that they're comparing the sizes of each other's clubs. I know. It's a lot of phallic stuff in these yeah. chapters. Well, Speaking of which, my uh, unsung hero is Cho Chang, who elicits a lot of phallic imagery from poor Harry, such as when he expels a silvery substance from his wand. After uh, triumphing. After his triumph over Cho. Um, Show her your acceleration, Harry. Yeah. Wood says. So these are not no, actually... No time to be a gentleman. <laughs> Oof. Ugh would get it together um that's not actually why she's my unsung hero she's um first of all she is at this point the only female seeker at hogwarts um later on we get others jenny weasley being a notable wait is she a chaser she's a seeker isn't she you know i yes i think she takes over as seeker for harry yeah okay so uh if we're wrong we'll almost certainly be corrected okay yeah correct <laughs> so, us yeah i guess we could look it up but no we're just Fair recording enough. right now we're mm-hmm. good um so no i just think cho is a really good athlete she's a good enough athlete that wood is pissed that she recovered from her injuries which is just like another moment of and wood then, being awful and then Wood's like, oh, it doesn't matter. She's on a shitty broom anyway. So, uh, fairness. But I like that she, like, takes advantage of the ways in which she can kind of manipulate Harry. Like, she should have, she keeps, this is my unsung hero. Sorry. Um, she keeps, like, stopping short in front of him, knowing that he won't just, like, barrel into her because, like, he can, she can tell that he thinks she's cute. And she doesn't, like, take advantage of that in an unfair way. But she does sort of, like, do this thing where she uses the kind of, like, stereotypes about her femininity as a weapon against, like, stupid boys, which I really (laughs) appreciate. Um, And Cho, you know, we come to love. Cho turns out to be a pretty cool character. So it's nice to meet her for the first time and see her um, as a stellar young athlete. Harry gets his first... 
um, little stirrings of... Uh, he Yeah, he gets um, a knot in his stomach that he doesn't think has anything to do with nerves. Nothing to do with Quidditch. Nope. But everything to do... With broomsticks. With broomsticks. <laughs> Who's yours? Mine is Madam Hooch, who is just a gearhead, geeks out on the Firebolt, and is going over the various history of previous, like, makes and models of uh, brooms. I don't know. She's just the... She's fun. She appeals to me at that moment. And then she falls asleep <laughs> like during, like, Quidditch practice. <laughs> Girl's tired. I know. Uh, uh, Madam Hooch is so butch. Uh, she is, which is another thing I love about Madam yeah, Hooch. Yeah, yeah. I also we gotta. Well, we should look up this. I guess we'll look it up during the in the movie um, episode. But the actress that plays Madam Hooch is awesome. Perfect. Yeah, yes. she's well cast in the movie. She's one of the better cast kind of minor characters. So I love her. Um. Yeah, that's about it for this week. The audio clips you heard were courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. This week's episode is brought to you by Zonko's Joke Shop. Magic tricks for people who already know how to do magic. <laughs> That's true. They keep their, like... It's like sleight of hand magic, and they're like, you know we have brooms. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking great. Um... Please do the usual podcast stuff for us. Um, rate us on iTunes. Give us five big old stars. And um, review us as well. Yo, we got some good emails in the last Oh, week. yeah. Please keep em- emailing us. We're going to do a, an actual mailbag segment. I will post, as it were, uh, next episode. But um, we've been loving the emails that you guys have been sending all, they're all, all of a sudden just uh, uh they're so cool storm of owls you guys are so smart and interesting and you have such good points and insights and we are ecstatic to be getting them so if you have thoughts um or corrections or you want to send us links or just ideas you have about any quibbles. of this stuff quibbles yeah please send us those it's um quibblerpodcast at gmail.com Also, subscribe on iTunes, um, just, you know, so you get the podcast when it comes out. We're on Twitter and Instagram, just at Quibbler Podcast. Had a couple Oscars tweets, uh, actually tweeted this week. Yeah. (laughs) You know, every so often we have some some funny content on the socials. And a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash Quibbler Podcast. Do sign up for that. It's pretty good. You'll like it. Next week, we will be reading two more chapters from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. The chapters will be the Quidditch final and Professor Trelawney's prediction. More sports, man. Yeah, this also... It's a sports-heavy book. It is. It's a really Quidditchy, And uh, we haven't seen Trelawney in a while, so that'll be... That's a fun one. I predicted she would come back. <laughs> this is very good. All right, that's it. That's it for us. Thanks. Amigos. Your father didn't set much store by rules either. Rules were for lesser mortals, not Quidditch Cup winners. His head was so swollen. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay, then.